Welcome to Food Navigator USA Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Specialty food used to be reserved for special occasions and accessible only to those who could afford its premium price. But increasingly, specialty food is becoming everyday food sold at everyday prices that are accessible to more people. According to the Specialty Food Association, this shift is thanks in part to consumers' growing desire for better-for-you products and their increasing interest in expressing their individualism by adopting lifestyles that are centered on diets. According to a new report from the State of the Specialty Food Industry conducted by Mintel and Spins IRI for the Specialty Food Association, the result is rapid growth for specialty food that far outpaces that of all food at retail by more than nine times. The specialty food market grew 11% from 2015 to 2017 to $140.3 billion in retail and food service, and now accounts for 15.8% of the total market share. This growth is just going to continue. The market share is projected to reach upwards of 19% by 2022. Meanwhile, sales growth of all food at retail has climbed only 1.4%. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Ron Tanner, who's the Vice President of Philanthropy, Government, and Industry Relations at the Specialty Food Association, is evolving to meet consumers' changing needs, including what are the top sellers now and in the near future, who is buying specialty food, and where they're purchasing it. As demand for specialty food increases, the line between products that were once considered fancy or gourmet and those that are thought of as more everyday fare is blurring. But according to Tanner, there are still several characteristics that set specialty food apart. You know, specialty food has an ever-changing definition. Um, We like to say that it's food that is made with better ingredients, that tastes good, and that there's usually a person behind the product. It's not mass-produced in a factory. So they have their love of what they've made for their friends or for their family. You know, people don't usually feed their friends and family things full of artificial ingredients and other stuff that you don't want in your food. So they've come up with these specialty foods. Um, The difference over the last probably 10 or 15 years is that specialty food now is in all categories and it's not particularly what you would call fancy or gourmet you know it's just something which is a little bit better it's not even always more upscale or even more expensive than other types of food uh, but it's something which is just made with some more care i think you know when you buy a special like when you buy a specialty salsa you know it may be selling for five dollars a jar whereas one of the mass market salsas may be selling for three dollars but when you actually take it and look at the ingredients it's made with tomatoes and peppers and things like that and water might be the fifth ingredient in it when you buy some of the mass market products water could be the first ingredient or second ingredient so there's not a lot of extenders in a lot of the specialty foods so you're paying a little bit more but you're probably getting almost more food for that and we like to say that if you um you know if you're using something in a small quantity so for instance if you buy a specialty mustard 
and you like turkey sandwiches. You know, your serving per that mustard on your turkey sandwich might be 12 cents versus if you had a mass market, it might be 5 cents. You know, but that little bit of extra money makes you really like what you're eating. Tanner explains that consumers are willing to pay more for better quality product, in part because they are thinking more about the impact of ingredients on their health and wellness, and because what they put on their plate or in their glass has become an expression of who they are as an individual. So when we started doing our research with with Mintel, which was back in 2004, um, specialty foods was a $24 billion industry. It's now $140 billion. So it's just been growing because people want better products. There's people out there that want to make better products. And, And the world is changing. You know, it's not a world now where everybody wants to be the same. You know, if you look back in the 50s, 60s, and the 70s, when a lot of the big brands were being developed, everybody wanted to be the same. They wanted to have the same type of coffee. They wanted to have the same type of toilet paper. Yeah, And now that's really changed. You know, people really value their individualism. And one of the ways they can express that individualism is through the foods that they purchase. With that foundation, Tanner says there are three main areas that are driving growth for specialty, including frozen and refrigerated products beverages, and protein-based products. Um, People are looking for things which are fresher. They're looking for things which are more locally made. And often those products have to go through a refrigerated distribution system. So you're seeing a lot of growth in refrigerated sauces and dips and refrigerated teas. um, And in a lot of the plant-based products, which are going into be kind of dairy alternatives and stuff like that. So that's one thing which is growing really, really quickly. Um, Another is beverages. And the research shows that beverages are growing at like an 18% clip versus food at 11%. So people are looking for alternative things to drink other than sodas. You know, Diet Coke and Mountain Dew still dominate. You know, but people are looking for healthier um, teas to drink, waters, which have all kinds of different attributes in them, which make them better for you. And so they're growing really quickly. And then then protein-based products. So when you look at some of our largest categories and fastest growing categories, jerky and other meat snacks is one of the, I think it's number four in sales growth. And people love that type of stuff. And, you know, at this point, a lot of people would rather have a little piece of protein for a snack at four o'clock in the afternoon than a cookie. You know, and you're seeing that also in snack foods where you're having a lot of bean-based chips and things such as that. Yogurt, which yogurt, when yeah, five, six years ago, yogurt was like in the 30s in our categories, and now I think it's number six. So it's just increased tremendously too, and that has a lot to do with the, the protein, you know, and the healthy attributes of it. Taking a closer look at the potential for fresh and frozen specialty foods, The State of the Industry report reveals that seven of the top 10 categories by retail sales were chilled or frozen foods, led by 42% growth in frozen desserts, 27% growth in refrigerated entrees, and 21% growth of yogurt and kefir. While this growth is promising, Tanner says there's still plenty of room for innovation in the freezer and refrigerator sections. From, from what I've seen, has not been a lot of innovation in frozen food for a long time. I mean, you've, you've got fish sticks, you have TV dinners. Um, there has been a lot of frozen natural food products with alternative burgers and, you know, burritos and things like that. I think consumers like frozen foods. And as they're looking for more natural and more healthy alternatives, they want to have something that they can put in their um 
you know, that they can put in their freezer and have, have quickly. Um, some companies, such as Saffron Road, American Halal, has really pushed that category. You know, they've taken the idea that a company like a Stouffer's would have and have made it into something which has, you know, antibiotic-free chicken, you know, and no preservatives, and, and is more expensive, you know, but people are willing to spend that for that. So I think we're seeing growth because of that. And then... On the other side of it, um, ice cream is like a hot, hot category. Um, so ice cream is driving some of that frozen. So ice cream and ice cream sandwiches and alternative pops, popsicles. You know, you now have popsicles which are all fruit, and people love those type of things. Um, so you're seeing a lot of growth in that too, and you know that has to be frozen. Tanner also warns that the exponential growth in the frozen and refrigerated sections is restricted somewhat by limited physical space, which is increasing competitive pressure. It, 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 it's a lot harder to be successful with a refrigerated product, whether you're a manufacturer or whether you're a retailer. But if that's what consumers are looking for, people are going to need to adapt what they're going to be doing. So I would think that some of the retailers may be looking at their refrigerated cases and saying, well, you know, I don't need six facings of this, you know, larger brand. Maybe I take that down to three facings and I put in a specialty brand. So I think they need to readjust those things as people are looking at it. Um, For the manufacturers, for them to get their products out in the refrigerated distribution system is really hard. You know, some of them are distributing themselves. Some of them are using local distributors uh, to get their products into the market. But it's challenging, but it's the biggest growth category in the industry, so it's important. Another fast-growing segment which could be easier to enter is the snack segment. According to the Mintel report, rice cakes was the second fastest-growing category by dollar from 2015 to 2017, when it increased 64.1%. Meat snacks and jerky also climbed 62.1% in this period, followed by other snack categories, including wellness bars and gels, which were up 22.6%, and yogurt and kefir, which were up 20.6%. So while specialty products are doing well in general, there are some categories that are more competitive than others, and which could be nearing saturation, cautions Tanner. There are some categories which are saturated, and I think when you look at our statistics, you can see the ones which aren't growing that much. Um, There's a lot of olive oil coming into the United States, and there's a lot of olive oil made in the United States, but you know what? There's people are still buying it. Um, you know, there's a lot of salsas that are out on the market, a lot of hot sauces. You know, you, could, you would think there would be a limit to hot sauce, but consumers who like hot sauce, they see something new, they're going to buy it. You know, kind of the same things with salsas. You know, if they see a pumpkin salsa or a craft beer salsa, they're going to try it. So as long as you innovate, saturation doesn't really happen in this industry. While specialty products are becoming more available and more diverse across categories, the dominant consumers are still concentrated on the coasts and tend to be younger, more affluent shoppers, according to the State of the Industry report. The biggest consumers are 18 to 24 years old, and they grew up with specialty foods in their household. Um, and also the 24 to 35, it's been part of their lifestyle for the entire time. And... And people that are younger are as more likely to spend a higher part of their income on food 
you know, traditionally the older generation, it was, you know, was fuel. It wasn't fun. And with the younger generation, it's fun, you know, so they'll go in and they'll buy, you know, a fancy cheese or they'll buy coffee, you know, because it's an experience for them. And that's why they're the the biggest consumers, especially foods. They're not the biggest purchasers. So this data is we ask people, have you bought a specialty food in the last six months? So somebody that has bought one, you know, piece of cheese identifies as a specialty food consumer the same way that somebody that bought three wheels of cheese. Consumers' life stages also heavily influence which specialty products they are most likely to buy and which claims resonate with them the most. According to the report, shoppers aged 18 to 23 buy specialty products in order to support small companies, experience authentic ethnic flavors, and meet their snacking needs. They're most interested in foods that are free from common allergens, that are high in protein, and which are seasonal and functional. They're also most likely to buy plant-based meat alternatives. Millennials, on the other hand, tend to buy specialty products that are clean ingredient decks and have superior quality or just to treat themselves. They also want high protein snacks and seasonal products and tend to buy more ice cream, frozen desserts, cookies and cakes, as well as meat snacks than other generations. Gen Xers have more common with younger shoppers in that they buy specialty products for interesting tastes, flavors, and experiences, but they're also more focused on nutritional and ingredient information. As they consider their health, they're more likely to buy specialty coffee, cocoa, nuts and seeds, and spices than other generations. Finally, boomers are interested in specialty foods to experience new flavors and for everyday meal solutions. But unlike younger shoppers, they're less likely to buy beverages and snacks, and more likely to buy seasonal foods and products that are local. While 60% of consumers are buying specialty food, 40% are not, a reality that Tanner attributes in part to cost and access. Well, 40% of consumers are not buying specialty foods. Um, they have a tendency to be uh, have a little less money, to be a little less experimental, and... To be in the Midwest has the lowest percentage of people buying specialty foods, but the average is 60%. The Midwest is probably 52%. It's not that much lower. Um, I think manufacturers just have to encourage people to try things. And as you see companies like Walmart and companies like Target really embracing specialty foods and putting them into the stores, I think you're going to see people starting to buy those foods more. And I think one of the aspects that really helps that is private label. So you see a lot of companies really developing kind of a higher end private label and people will start buying these private label crackers or soups, you know, realize that they taste a little bit better and then kind of move into specialty from that. According to the report, retailers and manufacturers can encourage more shoppers who do not currently purchase specialty foods to buy them by positioning them as easy solutions for entertaining or sharing with others, which are times when consumers tend to splurge and those will drive more trial. In addition, brands can engage light buyers by selling their story and heritage to inspire value-based purchases, as well as touting efforts to reduce food waste. 
Retailers also can help inspire more purchases by showing consumers how to use specialty foods as ingredients, a strategy that helps consumers feel like they're getting more out of the purchase while also enhancing their personal cooking skills. As consumers' interest in specialty food continues to increase, so too is that of retailers that previously did not focus on the products. In particular, Tanner explains C-stores and mass-market retailers are starting to see the potential of the space to drive foot traffic and increase basket ring. We're actually starting to work with some C-stores to bring them to the show and show them what they want to do. Um, If you look at chains such as a Sheets or a Wawa, you know, you'll go into those stores and they have a lot of local specialty products. If you go into Sheets in Virginia, they have a different mix of products than one in Pennsylvania. You know, so they're putting a lot of specialty in. And, you know, in reality, people, when they, people go to the convenience store, they're not looking for price. You know, they're looking to buy something that they like. You know, it's often going to be a snack food. And, you know, putting in a variety of better tasting potato chips or a better chocolate or things like that will get people to buy those products and it'll make the convenience stores more money. Uh, The big mass markets are embracing specialty foods. Um, You know, Walmart has a whole program to bring them in. Target has had one for a while. Um, One of the places which our members love to do business with is Costco. You know, Costco brings in a lot of really nice products, and they have a very good reputation as a company. So you'll see a lot of our members putting together, you know, they do larger packs and they do multi-packs and things like that. But Costco is a big player in specialty foods, particularly in the West Coast. As the specialty food segment continues to grow, Tanner warns manufacturers and retailers should focus on what they do best and not become carried away and try to secure more market share by launching more products. There's a lot of new manufacturers that are coming on the market with a lot of great new products, and I think that that's very important. I think some of the manufacturers need to focus on doing well with what they have and spending more promotional money and more of their effort on some of their better sellers. One of the big problems which manufacturers can fall into is they may have 10 SKUs that do really well, 10 SKUs that don't do really well, and they fret and they invest in the ones which aren't doing well. And sometimes they would just have a better business if they put their money and their attention to the SKUs that are already doing well. And we we suggest that to manufacturers all the time. And I think that's what a lot of the distributors and the brokers are saying to them as well. Stepping back, Tanner says that finding the right balance is a major takeaway from the report and a key element to the long-term success of the segment, as well as the individual players in it. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for additional insights into the specialty food segment, as well as some of the emerging trends that I spotted at the Summer Fancy Food Show in New York City this week. To make sure you remember, I recommend that you subscribe to us on iTunes. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.